The Transmission, episode 93, April 18th, 2010. So what do you think we should say to Locke when we get there? I mean, how do you break the ice with a smoke monster? Aloha from the Island Lost fans. You were tuned into the transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I'm Jen. And I'm Ryan. And we're here to talk about Everybody Loves Hugo. Up next, we'll recap the latest chapter of season six in under eight minutes. Or we'll try. Then we'll share our thoughts on the episode. We'll get to your feedback and you all, everybody. And we'll actually share a special musical contribution from a transmission listener. And we'll wrap things up with, yes, another Ford cabin. All right. So you ready? Let's get lost. Well, a lot happened in this episode. Let's start off the island. We open with a slideshow narrated by Dr. Pierre Chang explaining why everybody loves Hugo. Mm-hmm. After Hurley bought Mr. Klux and expanded it worldwide, he has done great things for the community, including building the new paleontology wing at the Golden State Natural History Museum. He gets a standing ovation and a cool dinosaur trophy. That's right, but his mom says he needs a woman in his life. He says he's too busy, but she says he's too scared. She tells him that he's, she says him up on a blind date. He ends up waiting alone at a Mexican restaurant. A woman shows up and we see it's Libby. Hurley says he wasn't expecting someone so beautiful. She tells him though that she's not his blind date. She asks about people being connected as soulmates and whether Hurley remembers her. He says that he doesn't. Dr. Brooks shows up to take her away. Hurley follows them outside and he sees her getting into a van from the Santa Rosa Mental Health Institute. He goes into a Mr. Klux and orders a family-sized bucket of chicken. Well, Desmond is there and he tells Hurley that they were both on Oceanic 815. Hurley explains that he eats when he's depressed and that he made a, met an awesome woman who said that she knew him, but she turned out to be crazy. Desmond says that he should go back to her and find out from where she thinks she knows him before giving up on her. Hurley goes to see Dr. Dr. Brooks, who's reluctant to let him see Libby until he offers the institution a $100,000 donation. He meets Libby and she explains that she saw him on TV and then felt as if she was hit over the head. Her mind flooded with memories of a plane crash, of an island, and of Hurley and that they liked each other. So Hurley invites her out on a date and she agrees. Hurley takes her to a picnic on the beach. He asks her why she wants to be with him and she says it's because she likes him. She kisses him and suddenly Hurley sees flashes of her and the island and tells her he's remembering stuff. He says that she's not crazy after all. We see that Desmond was watching them and he drives off. Then in a school parking lot, Desmond is watching Locke roll by in his wheelchair. Ben comes up to see what he wants and Desmond says he's looking at schools for his son. Ben asks his son son's name and Desmond says, Charlie. Ben says it's an excellent school and wishes Desmond a good day. Suddenly, Desmond starts his car and hits the gas and he slams into Locke, hurling it into the air over his car and onto the pavement. As Desmond speeds away, Ben runs up to Locke, lying on his back, bloody and stunned, and tells him not to move, that they're going to take him to a hospital. Now, on the island, Hugo is visiting Libby's grave, telling her that crazy stuff is happening. Ilana shows up and says they're going to the Black Rock for some dynamite. He asks if that's the right move, and she says it's their only move. When she leaves, Hurley hears the whispers, and then Michael appears.
appears. He says, I'm here to stop you from getting everyone killed. Hurley says he murdered Libby and Ana Lucia, but Michael says it doesn't matter and that people are going to die and it's going to be his fault. Jack walks up and asks who Hurley is talking to, and Hurley says no one. Jack says it's time to leave. Back at camp, Ilana is explaining that she has four sticks of dynamite to destroy the plane. She says she's trained her whole life to protect them. Hurley asks how destroying the plane is protecting them since they'll be stuck on the island with the angry smoke monster. Ilana says that thing is evil and God help us if it ever leaves the island. She drops her bag and boom! The dynamite explodes taking her with it. Hurley goes through Ilana's things and looks inside a drawstring bag. Meanwhile, Albert says they're going to get more dynamite. Jack tells Richard that he promised Son that he'd get her off the island, and Richard says he wished he hadn't done that. Just then, Hurley interrupts and says that Richard is right and tells Jack to trust him. Jack says, okay. They head to the Black Rock, but as they arrive, Richard realizes that Hurley is missing. Suddenly, Hurley yells, run, and the Black Rock explodes. Miles asks why he did it, and Hurley says that Michael, who is one of the dead people who came back to yell at him, told him to. Miles asks why he listens to dead people, and Hurley says that they're more reliable than the living. Richard says that he's going back to the barracks for grenades and more explosives, but Hurley says that they need to talk to Unlock because... Jacob said so. Richard doesn't believe him because he says Jacob doesn't tell people what to do. He says if that thing leaves the island, it's all over. Ben goes with Richard, as does Miles, but Jack says he's with Hurley. As they head over to Unlock's camp, Hurley admits to Jack that he wasn't really talking to Jacob, and Jack says that he knows. Hurley asks why he went with him, and Jack says he realized he can't fix everything and that maybe the point is for him to let go. Hurley asks Jack to trust him, so he's trusting him. Suddenly, they hear the whispers. Hurley runs into the jungle and calls for Michael, and he says that he knows Michael is stuck on the island. Michael says it's because of what he did and that there are others like him, and that's what the whispers are. So there. (laughs) Hurley asks Michael where Unlock is, and he points the way. Michael tells Hurley to tell Libby that he's sorry. Meanwhile, at Unlock's camp, Sawyer is annoyed that they're not doing anything, but Unlock says that they're waiting. He says they all came to the island together, and they all have to leave together, so they need Hugo, Son, and Jack. Just then, Saeed returns and leads Unlock to Desmond, tied to a tree. Unlock apologizes and cuts Desmond loose. Desmond says he was kidnapped, and Saeed confirms his story, so Unlock sends Saeed back to camp, then leads Desmond into the jungle. The creepy boy appears, but Unlock tells Desmond to ignore him. The boy smiles then runs away. Unlock takes Desmond to a well and says that it's one of many places where people have dug seeking answers. Unlock says that Widmore is not looking for answers, just power, and he asks Desmond why he's not afraid. Desmond asks what the point is of being afraid. Unlock smiles very creepily, then pushes Desmond down the well. He goes back to his camp and tells Saeed that they don't need to worry about Desmond anymore. Suddenly, Hurley walks into the camp and tells Unlock that he needs to talk to him, but doesn't want anyone to get hurt. Unlock says he gives Hurley his word and hands him his dagger. Out of the darkness steps Lapidus, Sun, and Jack, and Unlock says, Hello, Jack. And, and thud. thud. And that is Everybody Loves Hugo, the 12th episode of season six. And we're going to take a quick break to definitely catch our breath. And when we come back, we'll share our thoughts on the episode. Music 
This episode was titled Everybody Loves Hugo, and I suppose that is true, but I have to ask you, Jen, how much did you love Everybody Loves Hugo? That was really a whole lot of episode. Absolutely. I mean, I was out of breath in the recap because I wasn't sure we were going to get all of that stuff into eight minutes. We did, but barely, and it, it was a lot. Somebody asked me on Facebook to describe it as one word. I'm not sure what you would use, but I said roller coaster. Well, I would say explosive, but roller coaster fits <laughs> Explosive, too. definitely. I mean, a significant amount of pyrotechnics in this episode. And uh, But, you know, I thought it had really good character moments, touching moments that they did seem to slow down a little bit for. But otherwise, the velocity was very high. A lot of shocking moments in this episode. Now, it was a Hurley episode, but unlike past Hurley episodes, I didn't think that it was a big comedic relief episode. No, the, the scenes between Hurley and Libby were really kind of sad and sweet and and touching because you could really feel Libby's anguish yeah, as I mean, she talked about her experiences. And I think that the, you know Cynthia Watros did a fantastic job she in did. this episode considering how yeah I didn't think that Libby was going to come back. I, they, I sure I, didn't they told either, us to yeah. write her off and here she is and yet you know it could have been a big giant check mark for this this big mystery on Lost but I think it was handled really well. And of course on the island um, I thought that it was interesting that Sawyer's complaining about sitting around and I certainly started to feel a little impatient with whatever's going on there but at the end of the episode sure enough and actually sooner than I expected we've got all our candidates together and off the island Desmond is definitely on a mission oh he's definitely got a plan he's up to something we're definitely going to talk about that but I mean this wasn't I would say the strongest episode of season six neither was it the weakest Mm -hmm. but it felt very much like the quintessential positioning episode all of the pieces now in place to move forward I mean it seems like I would say I mean and we maybe we say this at the end of every episode but it seems like right from now um, it should really definitely pick up the pace so let's um, break it down um, to the different parts let's start on the island Uh, again I thought it was interesting that we had that conversation with Sawyer what are we doing we're doing nothing and you know Unlock says that we're waiting there's a difference there and I, I there there was there has been a whole lot of waiting around with and, our, on the island characters. and trekking and figuring <laughs> out what to do yeah right right so I sort of shared that frustration I thought it was good that that was expressed but I thought it was fascinating of course that that you know unlock is tr- proven right at the end because they are waiting for the arrival and they certainly arrived so I thought that wasn't bad what do you think about unlock's explanation that uh, what we're what we're seeing here is basically a repeat of what got you here you had to recreate the conditions of the original crash to return to the island and we we need everyone together back on the plane in order to leave the island. Well, that's not going to work because there are dead bodies everywhere and a hole in the windshield. And most of those people aren't even around anymore. I mean, we're told this in 316 last season that they have to do the, you know, they have to duplicate the the circumstances of the flight. And we don't really know why that is. We haven't even been given a hint why that is. And so... Without context, we really don't know what this whole thing is about. I think that's a good point that we've lost almost half of the passengers that were on Flight 316, which was not a very full flight to begin with. There's a lot of mechanical reasons, again, why the plane is problematic. I'm, I think, with many of our listeners and perhaps you that says that what what Unlock is up to is not trying to recreate it. He, in fact, maybe doesn't even need all of them together to leave together. There's some other, you know, dastardly plan in place, but we're just going to have to see, I guess, how that plays out. Yeah. So in the 
same episode, our candidates are brought back together with Unlock. Unlock also meets the package, mm-hmm. Widmore's big secret weapon, I guess, against him in terms of foiling his plans. And it's Desmond. And those were some pretty surreal interactions with the two of them. But the way that those scenes were lit was just very, I don't know, it added, it really added something to those scenes. And especially Terry O'Quinn, the way they lit his face and the facial expressions really made it very surreal and very creepy. Well, I like specifically the very first time they meet and, you know, uh, Unlock asks, you know, Desmond, do you know who I am? And Desmond, I think, is the first character to call him Locke. I mean, uh-huh. it, it was almost comical the point to the point of how frequently people would say, you know, that's not actually Locke. You know, that's not uh-huh. really Locke. Whoever uh-huh. that is, it's not Locke. And here Desmond comes out and says, you are Locke. And that actually seemed to upset Unlock, like insult him or upset him. But I thought it was significant that he did that among their first encounter. Um, I liked that there was sort of, the again, the repeat or the, the reference to the Dharma Initiative, people coming to the island, mm-hmm. seeking answers, digging wells with these magnetic anomalies going on. But he also says to Desmond that Widmore, the person you're helping, is not where basically Widmore is after power. He's, right. he's one of these people trying to exploit the, the island. And now I'm actually thinking better of Widmore because Unlock, Unlock says that. Do you think Widmore is actually trying to exploit the island or is he trying to save the world? He's got his own agenda. It might not be just power, but I don't think that he necessarily has the best interests of everybody on the island at heart. Well, you know, that's interesting. I mean, again, I, I've always felt that Widmore's uh, you know motivation has always been kind of power or exploiting the island. It was only after I heard Unlock accuse him of that that I started to be skeptical I mean I, now I'm becoming more on Widmore's side because of what Unlock says so I guess to some extent um, I'm kind of turning against maybe the smoke monster and the man in black so he gets Desmond to the well he has this conversation Desmond is clearly not afraid I mean to the point where that also upsets Unlock and I'd have to say it was pretty well telegraphed that poor Desmond was going to get tossed into yeah, the well Yeah from the beginning I mean I th- I thought you know from the very instant that they met that i mean because we have the scene with Locke pulling out the dagger too i thought here we go he's gonna stab desmond and then they get to the well and you know what's gonna happen and i just wonder does desmond know that you know does he realize what unlock is gonna do and he's just very He's being very calm. And I agree. I think very that's what accepting. It is. I think that ever since Desmond went willingly with Saeed, he's got something in his head. Either he's seen how all of this plays out, or he's someone who's so convinced of whatever the ultimate outcome is, he's not afraid. I mean, you remember Charlie became unafraid of anything after he had his flash of the truth in the flash uh-huh. sideways. That's sort of how I saw a parallel in the way that Desmond is conducting himself on the island, unafraid because he has the big picture in mind. But what is Unlock up to? He pushes him in the well. I'd like to think, and I'm going to presume that it wasn't a fatal shove, but uh, I guess it hurt. And I guess, is he just trying to get Desmond out of the picture and make him a non-player and everything? Well, Desmond has survived two major electromagnetic anomaly events. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe Unlock is trying to get him out of the way, but maybe he put him down there for a reason. He's, he's pulling Woodmore. He knows that Desmond has some kind of ability or some kind of effect on the magnetism, and he shoved him down the well in order to achieve some kind of an end. To have, to have him in position. I can see that. I mean, basically, if he is as aware of Desmond's abilities as Widmore is, he thinks that he's got the game piece now instead of Widmore, I, I suppose. I mean, I, I did like that conversation about how there's more than one well and how it made the uh, 
the the compasses spin. I mean, again, a lot of invocation of things that we've been wondering for a long time. Right. So that was great. Now, also in this episode, Hurley goes to give his report to Libby at Libby's grave. Mm -hmm. But even though he dialed Libby, he gets the wrong number. He gets Michael instead. Michael has returned. Well, it's good to see Michael again, I guess. I mean, we thought we were done seeing Michael because of, you know, what Christian Shepard says to him. You're done. I mean, to me, that's like, okay, we are finished with Michael. And so seeing him again is a little, it's a little confusing. And also, I don't really understand why Libby is the one dead person that Hurley can't see. Why is she the one he can't see? Well, I mean, he asks that question. I mean, all these dead people are visiting me. Why not you? But I think Michael gives some answer to that because he says he's stuck there because of what he did. And I'm presuming that we can judge from that that Libby was not a person who needed to be stuck on the island like Michael was. Now, I do think that it made sense that Hurley was skeptical, did not believe Michael at first, Mm -hmm. right? You know, why should I believe you? You've done these bad things. And it seems that what what, uh, Michael is saying is don't try to stop the smoke monster from getting off specifically saying don't blow up the airplane uh-huh. but so do you trust what michael said is is michael on the side of the of the good people or is he on the side of the smoke monster well i i believe that him being dead and him being stuck there gives him some kind of knowledge of things going on that maybe others don't possess and I don't know. I think I I trust him. I you know he doesn't have any reason to lie. He, well, you know he's he's a dead guy. Why would he lie? Right. Well, I like what Hurley had said that you know well basically I've learned that dead people are more reliable than than alive people. But yeah. it, but it is again it is kind of curious that he's taking a direct action and specifically what what Michael is saying is to not confound what we think is the plan of the of the smoke monster of of unlock. So mm-hmm. I just thought that was curious. Now of course. We had in this episode a big mystery answered, explained. It's the whispers. Hurley says, hey, I think I know what this is. Goes to check on Michael and says, is this what it is? And Michael says, Uh yes, we're the the spirits on the island that can't leave. We're basically in purgatory. So there you go. Was that? Uh, (laughs) It was so anticlimactic. I was really waiting for it to be something huge and and metaphysical and, and, you know, relatively unexplained i mean you know you can explain it and not explain it and i just felt like okay here it is you well, know you know the answer itself isn't really you know troubling it i guess you can try to basically now take that back and it gives you a lens through which to review past seasons and see if that plays out or not i think it was more that it was literally like uh four or five lines of dialogue it was specifically a sidebar it was like uh-huh. we're trekking to the jungle let's step off to the side here and talk about that and then let's get back to what we were doing exactly you know, it just it just seemed a little strange and yes like you said i mean it, this is an example of where maybe the fans went a little overboard but their creativity came up with so many compelling you know ways and and we talked about it on our show maybe when time travel was introduced we thought okay the whispers were themselves observing yeah. themselves or we, we we saw the dharma initiative and maybe this is a grand experiment and there are observers watching that we can't see and people who've actually gone and used audio you know equipment and reversed it and mm-hmm. separated the channels and got actual transcripts of the whispers all of that stuff now basically is there are people stuck on the island because they did something bad yeah and well 
that's the answer we got. We have to that we're not. I don't think you know we're mad at it. That's what we have. That's what we have to work with. Well, I mean, Anna. Okay, Anna Lucia was not a saint on the island. Mm-hmm. Is she whispering? Well, I mean, do we know this yet? It could be any. I mean, we hear many, many whispers. What I think is fascinating is that Michael is the person chosen to be the one that is embodied briefly in order for Hurley to have the conversation. Yeah. Why is that? Of of all of the voices now trapped on the island, he's the one that steps forward. But again, um, that's our answer, and we'll see what other answers come up in the rest of the season i'm just going to say that i hope they're not again sort of injected you know exposition that doesn't fit anywhere else i hope that it's a little more organic than that and really you know what michael was explaining was purgatory it's a place where you are trapped because of things that you've done and you can't leave i thought the creator said in season one as much as we love these purgatory theories that's not what the island is well they can get out of it by saying it's not purgatory for the live people right it's only purgatory for the dead people but again you know in the grand scheme of things it makes me think about the other things that we supposedly have ruled out that aliens come- zombies <laughs> exactly well we even have zombies now so that's true good golly also though michael has his opportunity to apologize to hurley for shooting libby and i guess saying you know give my love and apologies to libby if you happen to see her i remember back in season two he really when they confronted him remember the scene where jack and kate and everybody confront michael about what he did he wasn't very sorry about what he did you know he gave a whole lot of excuses while i had to so for him to apologize now i kind of liked well except that he doesn't mention ana lucia who went down at the same time that's true but you mentioned ana lucia as someone who wasn't a saint maybe maybe michael and ana lucia are hanging out together and it's just (laughs) it's just not on the tip of his tongue in terms of to to feel sorry about it uh giving the given the circumstances i just thought it was a curious omission but in terms of blunt things in terms of just inexplicable things Ilana go boom she's gone I did not see that coming it was uh, definitely a shocking moment definitely a surprisingly clean non-arched like body parts flying sort of explosion Yeah, it's like she just vanished right. I mean it's like the island decided okay we're done we don't need Elon anymore, so we're just going to take her away under the guise of her being blown up. I guess. I mean, it was definitely just the sudden evaporation, and it was it just I, that definitely I had to go back. I was like, is, did we just see what I thought we saw? Um, I don't know. Uh, Ilana is a character that I was beginning to warm up to. You know, we do have this sense of initial skepticism when new characters are introduced. Yeah. But here is a side character that got flashbacks. Here is a side character that we learned had a history with Jacob, and in the the middle of explaining about how important this mission was to her life it ends right and I, I i just found that just surprising i mean zoe she's cute she's a she's a scientist but there's someone who i think if they just blew up like a dr arts that uh-huh. wouldn't seem to impact the story this person in almost every scene she appeared was basically imbued with significance imbued mm-hmm. with an understanding of the big picture that's been playing out over the last full season you know since the whole jacob and man in black kind of battle was exposed and she's gone well dead people do have a habit of appearing more frequently than they did when they were alive so maybe we're not really done with her yet I'm gonna assume that that's what it is that uh, she's still going to be on the island and maybe Hurley or Miles are gonna be able to have some communication with her in fact let's talk about that I thought it was weird that Miles actually has another conversation with Hurley about his ability to talk to dead people and dead people come and yell at him has Miles just stopped being a person who talks to dead people? I I, I, I can't, can't tell. I mean, we haven't actually seen him use his ability in a little while. Right. Maybe something has happened that has 
either either diminished his ability or taken it away. Well, I mean, I think basically you couldn't have two characters walking around with the same ability. And at this point, they've decided Hurley is the one who's going to become the voice of the dead or the those that have, have left, you know, the island. But it, it just seemed weird now that not only is Miles sort of, I think, sidelined really as far as the story is going. Definitely. But- I mean, I like Miles. I think Miles was a very interesting character. When we saw his flashback, we learned a lot about him that really intrigued me. And now he's there to comment on the action and talk to Hurley about his ability. Well, maybe you know that that's what we're having here, basically a switching of roles because Hurley is now a significant player. Someone else needed to comment on the action. I mean, remember when he says, we're supposed to believe that Sun gets knocked on the head and she doesn't. I mean, he's he's sort of that skeptical voice. But, you know, I just thought it was strange that Miles and Hurley, the two dead talkers, uh, have a conversation, but Miles specifically does not share his personal experience, does not maybe have some advice to Hurley to handle yelling dead people. That would have been a great scene actually you know because there there's so much there would be so much meaning in that conversation and Mm. it would have been just really great for miles to say okay well sometimes they're angry and you have to do this and then you have to do that yeah that would have been a great scene well actually now that we think about it when miles went to visit the house where he was actually gonna i guess scam that woman but Uh he's actually scared by something that that happens maybe he's not that experienced in dealing with angry spirits anyway (laughs) also in this episode i thought very telling references to the island as itself the island as an entity with a will or a plan when ilana blows up ben says that is the island crossing you off the list basically it no longer has use for you Uh and it probably will no longer have use for the rest of us and at the very same time desmond and unlock have a very similar conversation you know Uh, desmond says i think the island has it in for all of us and unlock says you're right it does Mm -hmm. so what does that mean we've got jacob saying the island needs protecting and we've got the man in black saying it does not it's irrelevant and in this episode and in several previous episodes the suggestion that the island itself basically supersedes all that it does and you know basically executes what it wants to do to heck with what humans are doing well what the island is is the point of the whole show i think that's what it boils down to at the end we have to know what the island is i think it's a being i think it has thoughts and emotions and needs and jacob helps the island carry out what it wants so as the guardian he was all he's also you know sort of that intermediary and uh, he brought the people to the island because that's what the island wants yeah i mean we don't know why yet the island wants these people but i think it does well i i'm not sure i mean i might disagree in the sense that it doesn't look like everybody who comes to the island has the best you know interests of the island in mind in fact who has the best interests of the island that's been an argument that's been unfolding on the island for a long long time once we find out what the island is, we find out who represents the island. Yeah, I'm going to say that it's not Jacob. I don't think that they're, you know, they're on the same side. In fact, a lot of people have emailed some significant and very detailed theories. And the the overall model that I like is that, in fact, we're missing the island as the third part of a trinity. You know, got mm-hmm. Jacob, the man in black, and the island as that third part. Michelle from Rockford, Illinois, a lot of other people have basically come to that conclusion. But that is, yes, the big question for Lost, so presumably that does not come until May 23rd. (laughs) Now, uh, I had a question about uh, the sack that Hurley finds in Ilana's things, and that seems to be the catalyst for him to basically start to execute this plan to blow up everything that can get him off the island. Uh Um, What was in the sack? Well, I had no idea, and I remember saying, well, what is that? And my daughter turns to me and goes, Jacob's ashes. Well, I mean, I guess that's what it is that it though is it as simple as that I think that yeah I think it is Jacob's ashes and I think once Hurley saw them and connected them in his mind with the ring around the cabin he 
something clicked in his mind and he understood what was going on and then he figured out what he had to do. Hmm. Well, I mean, I, I, I definitely, th- I mean, clearly it leads to him and his big bluff, you know, that basically Jacob is telling me what to do so you should all follow me. And I thought those were some of the best scenes on the island in terms of character go in the yeah. sense that, uh, you know, he goes along with Richard but blows up the Black Rock and then they have that whole standoff where he says that this is what the, what Jacob tells me, told me to do and Albert basically says he's not telling the truth and then Jack knows that he's not telling the truth but that whole bluff I thought was really well done you know I have to say I really like Jack I really like Jack in these latest episodes because Mm. he's just he's completely committed to doing whatever he has to do he's not trying to be a hero he's not the wimpy spineless Jack we saw last season he's just Jack and I kind of enjoy him well you know I do like him better this season than last but I'm not sure if he's all that different now I did like his when he corrects himself and he says ever since Juliet died and then he stops and says ever since I got her killed you know he's taking responsibility for that that's what and I like I do think that, that it's a growing moment that he can't fix everything so he needs to put his trust in other people yes I like that too but when he says something like you know um, I was waiting you know for my moment I felt I had to do something but that was wrong Maybe I just need to let things come. That's sort of what he was doing in season five, sitting around waiting for something to basically make itself clear that he had to figure out what his moment was. And we do remember that when Jack was up at the uh, lighthouse and completely freaked out, Jacob comes up and says, well, some people need to be shown, you know, some people need to figure out what it is they need to do. So there is something that Jack needs to do. He's still waiting around, but it's not like he's going to continually follow someone else, that he does need to take some kind of action, at least as far as Jacob goes. I do find it fascinating though that as similar as this Jack is to wimpy whiny weighty Jack of season five I I agree I like him better in this season as well and speaking of people telling each other what to do we're told that Jacob doesn't tell people what to do but that's not true I mean we see Jacob tell Ilana to protect the candidates we see Mm -hmm. Jacob tell Hurley to bring Jack to the lighthouse that's true I mean I, I find that fascinating I mean clearly they're trying to say you need to choose to do these things you can't you know why should I be the one to tell you the right way to go but Hurley's entire arm was covered with an actual essay of instructions as far as what he needed to do and where he needed to go from Jacob so if he's going to dictate that you know where do you draw that line I'm not sure how they're going to reconcile that we did have kind of what is a repeating iconic scene in Lost which is a line is drawn and you have to decide what side you're on. Yeah, this has happened dozens of times. times. Certainly a theme on the show. But I mean, so you've got all of the candidates who decide to go together. How you know, how convenient you've got Jack and son and Frank going with Hurley and you've got Albert, Miles and Ben going off on their own way. That kind of makes me worry about that second group, to be yeah. sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, because, unfortunately, what really matters, what what was the main point of everything happening on the island here, is that finally all of our principals are together. All of our candidates are together. And, again, I mean, setting the stage for what's to come moving mm, forward. Except for Jin. <laughs> That's true, Jin. I mean, I think that was hilarious that he's the one guy who's still off with Widmore. So Sun comes in looking out, looking around expectantly. But, unfortunately, she, uh, there, there's some bad news for her still to come up ahead. Yeah. Um, well, let's move to what happened off the island. I think, again, a really good character story, despite the fact that it could have just been, you know, let's clear up this mystery that people have been nagging us about. It, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't a it wasn't a whispers answer. I think it was a much more nuanced answer. Now, I liked how it opened with the slideshow explaining, you know, how everybody loves Hugo. Right. Well, the dog that that um, Jorge Garcia is holding in the slide, that's actually his dog. That's, that's right. Nunu. And, from, and they were standing in front of the Hawaiian Humane Society. You could actually see the logo behind him. And of course, that was an 
an actual baby photo of Jorge Garcia. So I thought really? it was great that they incorporated that stuff. I thought maybe it was Lillian Hurst holding her child because that lady looks a lot like well, her. Well, I'm not sure about that, but the picture of just the baby was definitely Jorge Garcia. Good uh -oh. question about the, the mom photo. I'm not sure about that. But so Mr. Klux, I mean, it's much more successful in the Flash Sideways than it was originally. Well, it's like a huge multinational corporation. Right. And not only that, he's a, he's a philanthropist. He has millions of dollars to give away. Right, right. And of course, he builds a new wing in Pierre Chang's museum or Charlotte's museum or Miles' mm -hmm. dad's museum. So, and where the where the fundraiser is for Eloise Hawking and right. all of these things coming together. So you can certainly see, I mean, we were picking on like the hospital being where people are going to kind of come together. That's certainly the case after this episode. We'll get to that. But the museum certainly seems to be another, you know, co uh, coagulating point for all of these right. characters. I love that Hurley got a dinosaur, you know, a dinosaur uh, yeah, trophy. Be yeah, because of all the Jurassic Park jokes Absolutely. this season. I thought yeah. that was great. And Hurley's mom, uh, as charming as always, but I, <laughs> I really like the reference to Grandpa Tito. Yeah, he's the, still alive. That's right. He doesn't keel over in that sort of sad, you know, tragic way. Again, Hurley is the luckiest man alive, so Grandpa Tito is still around. But yes, the point of the Flash Sideways was to give us Libby, Cynthia Watros returns, and I loved it. Yeah, we finally get the beach picnic. You mm -hmm. know, we... We were told about the beach picnic back in season two and, you know, that was their plan and we finally see it and it's so sweet. It's it's just, a, it's really wonderful. I thought it was a great payoff. It actually wasn't the most effective scene for me, but I loved it. I, I just thought, again, Cynthia Watros and Jorge Garcia sold that connection when he sees her in the restaurant and goes, wow, you know, I didn't yeah. expect it to, you to be someone so beautiful. I mean, I almost felt that electric jolt myself. And I thought that, you know, again, Libby here, the catalyst, the love connection, she sees and understands and remembers her island life. You know, she's seeing the truth that uh, Charlie sees or that even um, Daniel Widmore sees. But right. so she is in the mental institution. Was the implication that suddenly getting hit with this jolt seeing Hurley on TV that split with reality is why she checked into the the mental institution I don't know that's not really the impression I got I I don't know I'm still imagining that she was distraught over her husband's death yeah I mean that I, I, I do I don't know I think that what they were saying here is that she basically got so disturbed as a result of seeing Hurley on TV that you know she was uh, she, she voluntarily checked herself into the well, institution well that's a really interesting take on it that I mean that's yeah I like that well then it it would seem it would seem almost ridiculous if I were Dr. Brooks that okay we have this woman who's got this obsession with a guy named uh, Hugo Reyes and so uh -huh. I guess we'll just go out and do a Mexican restaurant and who happens to be at that Mexican restaurant you know but, there's uh, something going on with Dr. Brooks you think he's a little slimy and he seems to know a little bit more than he pretends to you think so I don't I mean I just think that that you know that actor um, he's uh, really Bruce Davison. good yeah he's really good at being creepy even when he's not trying to be but yes uh, they've got the beach picnic they've got the blanket I mean I thought that was a great payoff I personally felt that the scene in the in the rec room where basically Hurley has to tell her I still don't remember you and she's crushed by that you know you still you know you still don't remember me uh, yeah that's where I actually felt the most heartstrings tugged and not necessarily necessarily that great kiss that great smooch on the beach but now yes we have someone else in the flash sideways who's gotten the truth who sees the other world and so definitely a great development there and Desmond, of course, is the person that pushes him in the right direction. He shows yeah. up at Mr. Klux and says, hey, this person who says she knows you, why don't you find out more about about her? You know, he, he's very subtle about it, but he does set Hurley on the right path. Mm -hmm. But his work's not done. After they kiss on the beach, he heads off to, I guess, nudge someone else. I mean, he yeah. holy cow, that was shocking. <laughs> that, that was shocking. You know, I was really... 
I, I was envisioning the scene in my head that would come later. You know, he'd talk to Locke and maybe Locke wouldn't believe him. Right. But right. just to just the way the scene played out, it was shocking. Very good. Very So why does Hurley get a gentle conversation and Locke get a fender at 60 miles an hour? Well, Libby and Hurley were both on the island. I mean, Locke is in love with Helen. It's clear that they're happy. But Locke was, but Helen was never on the island. So maybe... The near-death experience treatment is the only way that he can get through to Locke. I, I guess. And, of course, you know, almost drowning works. And, and so you can see that that might be the approach. But how does Desmond know that, I mean, why doesn't Hurley get hit with a car and Locke get a conversation? I mean, I guess when Hurley, uh, Desmond has his flash, that maybe he gets all of the information. He gets all of the context. I mean, yes, it seems clear that uh, Locke would not be as susceptible to true love because he has his true love. In right. fact, again, as we discussed last week, Locke would be somebody who would not willingly choose the island timeline seeing as how he's either dead or a you know a possessed form <laughs> so that's you know he wouldn't be as happy to, to follow Desmond and Charlie down that path but I just a couple of things you know why does he make that distinction why does Locke have to get hit by a car and specifically again he asks for the flight manifest but there were 200 300 people on that plane and so far he's picking the right people. He's yeah. picking Jack. He's yeah, picking why Mom. is it that he's picking all the right people? And, and I guess it comes down to, again, he sees everything, so he knows that these people were key on the island. I mean, one of the things that they were clearly telegraphing is that right after Desmond gets pushed into the well by Locke, you know, Locke gets hit by Desmond in the parking lot. It almost seemed like they were trying to connect those those things that maybe the other reason why he might be whacking Locke is he's mad for being pushed in the well. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, th- I, that I th- would do it. I, I do think that they were suggesting a very specific connection between the two timelines by editing those scenes directly. Together. Well, I did like how Locke's eyes, you know, we're, we have the extreme close up on his face and his eyes are, are kind of fluttering. I mean, is he already seeing what he's supposed to see? I like that. I mean, I think that's basically what's happening, that it that it worked, basically what Desmond is up to. Uh, but the way that he was lying there reminded me of him actually on his back in the pilot and, and also in Walkabout. And what I was half expecting to see in that parking lot is a close up of his feet suddenly wiggling his toes, you know, <laughs> that maybe, you know, he can walk now or some sort of miraculous event. I guess, you know, Locke doesn't have to go in for that consult if that happens to be the case well he no he's not going in for the consult <laughs> but he's got to get his he's got to get fixed well i mean ben says we're taking him to the hospital right. and we know son has to be taken to a hospital and, and claire and, is all still in the hospital that's right so yes i mean i think things are coming together here in the flash sideways yes. well was there uh, anything else in this episode that caught your attention well the restaurant where hurley goes to meet his blind date is called spanish johnny's right and right. johnny is the name of his friend who, who steals his girl? That That's right. That's right. Actually, though, I mean, I think more, more likely, and we'll get to this in You All, Everybody, I think it's a Bruce Springsteen reference. Yeah. Well. I thought which, that, that's pretty cool, too, that's though. That's pretty cool. Now, I, when you mentioned you mentioned how he, how Johnny stole Hurley's girlfriend in the in the original timeline, mm-hmm. I kind of like that they showed Hurley being intimidated by women still because that's where he was. He was in the music store. He couldn't get up the nerve to talk to Starla. Uh-huh. And so here he's in the same situation. He can't get up the nerve to talk to women. So I like that, although you completely reminded me that it didn't turn out well that uh, that Starla ends up running off with Johnny so right. I guess this is definitely in many ways a much better universe for Hugo absolutely I, I also liked how um, he refers to what Libby is experiencing as a bizarro alternate universe yeah very that's meta basically what it is um, also Desmond says that his son's name is Charlie mm-hmm. and it just comes out of his mouth 
but you can see on his face he's really surprised by what has just come out of his mouth. Yeah, I mean, Henry and Cusick had th- just really good... I mean, you were talking about the facial tics and everything when, uh-huh. when Locke and the close-ups there on the island, but off the island, I thought that scene was brilliant in the sense that Charlie comes out of his mouth naturally, and then he just has that pause. Like, where did that come from? Uh-huh. Now, of course, he's also been charged with watching the bassist from Driveshaft named Charlie, but I it's clear that he's making a completely different connection there. So I thought that was pretty good. Um, the last thing that I want to mention is completely random and so minor, but it just struck me it, because it involves... You know, background extras, and I've been a background extra on the show. I mean, the people that basically are walking around that are not supposed to be the focus of your attention. Mm-hmm. In this episode, when Hurley and Desmond are in the Mr. Clux and um, Hurley notices Desmond, and he goes, what? You know, uh-huh. in the foreground is a woman at a table next to Hurley, and she reacts naturally like, what, me? Are you talking to me? And then she turns around and see, de- sees Desmond, and then Desmond comes to sit down. Uh-huh. And I just love that because one of the things that I'm really conscious of is in some scenes, despite how ridiculous a scenario is playing out, all of the people in the background are acting completely oblivious and natural. So it almost stands out to me in the sense that you have a background extra in this scene, that Asian woman who yeah. almost acts the way that I think a normal person would when that happens well, in the restaurant. You know what? I swear, and I could be wrong, but I swear that woman is on the beach in the Libby and Hurley scene. The woman with the sunglasses. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I would not be surprised if that's the same woman in the sense that having, you know, having known many people who work as extras, you're in several scenes and you'll change your wardrobe, your hair or sunglasses and they can uh-huh. basically make use of you. In fact, after I blogged about that scene, we got a call from Christine from Ohio who said she thought that that Asian woman who turned her head in the restaurant was the same woman who was Claire's friend bringing her to the psychic way back in season oh, one. Oh, really? I actually went to go look at screenshots. I'm pretty sure they're not the same but again i mean it's neat that people are kind of paying attention to the tiniest little detail on the show yeah well before we go we like to talk about uh, locations well actually there was a book in this episode right it's actually by fyodor dostoevsky it's called notes from the underground um the wikipedia entry says that it's considered to be kind of the world's first existentialist novel yeah so ilana was reading that i guess that makes sense it was of course in russian but uh, there you can add that to your lost reading list and again locations we like to talk about that and this episode episode had a lot of them. The award ceremony where Hurley got his trophy was filmed at the Ko'olau Golf Club at the First Presbyterian Church in Kaneohe. The fajita field trip to uh, the restaurant, <laughs> Spanish Johnny's, the inside of it was Bandito's Cantina at Pearl Ridge, but the outside where he saw her getting into the van was actually at um, a place called Pinky's in Kaneohe. Now, of course, the Santa Rosa Mental Health Institute was again the YWCA there on Richard Street mm-hmm. downtown. Mr. Cluck's Chicken Shack was again the Popeye's Chicken on Dillingham Boulevard. I was there for that. Yep, and uh, you got to see some of the action kind of unfolding there. The beach where Hurley and Libby had their date was the uh, west end of Ala Moana Park. That's actually the, one of the biggest beach parks run by the city here. So if you come, you can have your own romantic picnic on the beach and <laughs> revisit your favorite scenes. And the parking lot where uh, Desmond basically ran down lock in his wheelchair was at August Aaron's Elementary School in Waipahu. Mm-hmm. So um, they were all around the island. Actually, also the slideshow that they showed, they used some real locations. We mentioned the Hawaiian Humane Society. They also went to the elephant enclosure at the Honolulu Zoo. Yeah. And you saw the box company exterior at Gentry Pacific Design Center by where I worked. So they went all over the island, even just for that slideshow. Yeah. So those are our thoughts on Everybody Loves Hugo, the 12th episode of season six. Up next, we'll hear your thoughts and theories and you all, everybody. <laughs> Ryan and 
and Jen. This is Anna from Germany. I just finished watching Everybody Loves Hugo and oh my god, what an episode. Wow, um, there was so much going on. I think I liked it better actually than last week's episode. It was amazing. Seeing Libby and Hugo together was beautiful. Their scenes gave me goosebumps and the picnic at the beach was great with, you know, the reference to the blanket and Libby saying it's like a date we never had. Totally made me cry. Wow. I was just yelling at the TV, screaming and cursing, you know, and jumping up and down on the couch. It was just great. Um, and I don't know if my mind can handle it if they keep giving us episodes like this one until the finale. So, well, I love the podcast. Um, thank you for everything you're doing. Um, bye. We start things off with Anna in Germany. Love the episode. Screaming at her TV. She liked it better <laughs> than last week's episode. I don't know. Last week was a tough act to follow. But definitely a solid episode. Next up, Lori, Lana, and Mike. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Lori out in Pennsylvania. Long-time podcast listener and have never called to leave a message, but tonight's episode was uh, about time. Um, I was really just enjoying the, the episode, not really thinking anything was going to happen big, and then, wow, it all of a sudden exploded. Too many things happened at once. It was just like one explosion after another, starting with Alana and then the, the ending there with Locke, it was just amazing. Uh, Damon and Carlton have um, really came through for us, and I can just see where this is headed now and what a ride it's been. Thanks for your great podcast. Uh, love you guys a lot, and uh, talk to you soon. Bye. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Lana from Russia, and I'm going to say that the episode really blew my mind. Uh, I still don't know what to think of it, but I definitely like the Libby Hurley plotline, especially because we've seen Libby a few seasons ago, and we've seen her uh, in mental institution with uh, Hurley, and then the writers just uh, left the plotline, and I'm really glad to see Libby again, because I was really angry with the writers for not getting deeper into this plotline, and the whole scene on the beach was really touching and dramatic. And I should say that Lost uh, lately has been really into the whole love scenes, and I'm liking it. So, talk to you later. Bye. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Mike from New Jersey, making a shout-out to all Seinfeld fans who have donated to the Human Fund. Have a great one. Good episode. Mahalo for those calls. We love our first-time callers here in the final season of Lost. Lori definitely thinks that Damon and Carlton pulled through they in did. the end. And uh, Lana from Russia, once again, happy to see you know Hurley making the love connection. She just loves those love scenes. I do not think that means what you think it means. <laughs> That's right, but I, th I, I think both can work here on Lost. And Mike from New Jersey, there was a shout-out that I completely missed. It's a Seinfeld reference. Mm -hmm. um, when, when Hurley tells his mom that he has um, a fundraiser for the Human Fund, um, the human fund is George Costanza's fake charity. Right. He doesn't want to give a real gift, so he tells his friend that I've given a donation in your name to the human fund. Very <laughs> good catch there. Next up, Blue Dog 1121, Abby and Sarah. Hey, Ryan and Jen. It's Blue Dog 1121 in California. I'm calling about Everybody Loves Hugo. Ilana. Oh, Ilana, we hardly knew you. They arched you. I was really, really shocked that they blew up Ilana because I thought we were going to see so much more of her character. She seemed really complex. She seemed uh, like she had a really interesting backstory. I wanted to know more about how she 
met Jacob initially. I wanted to know about her childhood, and she said she was training all her life, and I wanted to know what that entailed. I wanted to see some of that training in action. I kind of got a feeling she was going to die this season just because, you know, she's not one of our originals. We're not that attached to her, but I thought she'd kind of go down in a in a blaze of glory or some kind of sacrificial way and not not just blow up. Because she wasn't, it's like she was some kind of inconsequential, you know, red shirt that nobody thought twice about, like arts. And I'm sorry that the writers um, chose to go that way with her. Um, I was I was hoping that we would get more out of her. But I thought that was a great episode. I have a million more things to say, but I won't. Um, I want to hear what everybody else has to say and what you guys have to say. So um, thanks. Bye. Hey, you guys, the transmission. This is Abby from Madison. And I just have to say, Oh, my supercalifragilisticexpialidociousness. This episode was amazing. I mean, I don't want to over-exaggerate, but I have to say that I loved the explosions, the excitement, and how much it moved the plot forward, except I don't have a theory as much as I have a comment to make. Okay, what was up with Alana's death? I mean, she exploded in front of everyone, and they were all about 10 feet away from her, and they just brought her off and said, all right, keep moving. I mean, if someone exploded in front of me, I'd have a little bit more of a reaction. But overall, love the episodes, you guys. Love the transmission and all that you guys do. And can't wait can't wait to see what you guys think. All right, thanks. Bye. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Sarah calling from Kansas. I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. Um, I, first of all, I was um, thinking that when we saw Ilana blow up, um, that maybe we haven't seen the last of her. Um, this kind of relates to something that you said, Ryan, in a, a recent podcast about um, her, when we first met her, being in that Russian hospital, being wrapped up in bandages, that perhaps she had gone through a process of getting a new face. Um, and so I was kind of taking it a step further and wondering if perhaps she has some kind of ability to be rebodied or regenerated and that something had happened to her before and now um, we're going to see her again, possibly in a different form or just in, in the same form. So those are just my thoughts. Just wanted to share them. And you guys do a great job on the podcast. I really enjoy it. And I'm going to miss it terribly when um, the show is over. But thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks for those calls. Well, Blue Dog 1121 also shares the frustration that we're losing Ilana so quickly. Exactly. I mean, Ilana was in charge of protecting all these people. She should have gone down doing her job. Right, trying to protect them, stepping in front of a bullet even to protect her candidates, but instead they arched her. And in fact, Abby from Madison again saying, when she blows up, why did they just sort of go on with their day? Well, it's not really the first time somebody's blown up in front of them. Yeah, I mean, I guess basically it's old hat now. And Sarah from Kansas, another first-time caller, actually saying that there could be a way to see Ilana again. I mean, I suggested that maybe Ilana was already recovering from a catastrophic event and she's being reconstructed, so maybe she can come back. She's like Bill the Cat. <laughs> I don't Actually, I don't think you can come back from being blown up. But no, you can't. I, there's just so much more they could do with her, but there are many ways, especially on Lost, that dead people can still have their story told. Yeah. Next up, we hear from Big Joe, Lara, and Jenna. Aloha, Ryan and Jen. This is Big Joe in Pennsylvania. Holy exploding Alana. Wow. Did not see that coming at all. That had to rank up there with one of the top two or three shocking moments in, in Lost history. Um, I guess uh, finding out that the island is not done with you yet may not be a bad thing if the alternative is being blown to smithereens like our uh, guardian Alana. That was uh, that was pretty cool. The um, the whole Desmond and Ben thing kind of confusing. Running him over, I guess maybe 
that uh, that means that he was telling the truth on the island when when Fake Lock asked Desmond if, if Desmond knew who he was, and he replied simply that you're John Locke and not some other uh, on-island entity. Um, and perhaps in the, the Flash sideways, just has this feeling that John Locke is bad or evil, and he needs to take him out. And, uh, and it looks like he accomplished that task. Uh, loving the podcast. I look forward to hearing it on Sunday. Bye. Hi, Ryan and Jen. It's Lara from Maryland. Um, the other uh, was uh, Killing Locke, or, you know, Alt Desmond Killing Locke. A couple things that came out of that for me. One, um, is he trying to jolt Locke into switching consciousnesses, which seems, you know, obvious. Two, is he trying to kill Locke in that timeline so that Locke kind of wakes up in his own body back in the other timeline and, you know, can fight against the man in black from the inside? Um, Or, uh, you know, this battle, the fact that man in black and and Desmond have begun to fight, is this somehow the start of the Jacob man in black battle that, you know, we've seen? Um, Are they the people who are fighting somehow? Uh, Locke seemed to know exactly what to do with Desmond when he saw him, even though Desmond, you know, didn't know yet. So uh, thanks, guys, for your podcast. Um, I'm also getting married today to my partner, so it's a good day all around. Um, Have a good day, guys, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Jenna calling from Athens, Georgia. I'm a first-time caller, but definitely a long-time listener. Um, I think... It's definitely, Desmond is definitely trying to give people near-death experiences or connect them with someone who's really key for them realizing their off-island past or their on-island past. So for Locke, near-death experience, and he's going to the hospital to see Jack. Um, In the case of of on the island, um, I think Locke knows that Desmond is basically the ultimate weapon in defeating him. He, the the young boy appeared to remind Locke that he can't kill Desmond, but he either sent him down the well to uh, keep him occupied and out of the way for a while, or maybe to push the wheel, because if he's been associated with, if he can stand up to electromagnetic energy, um, it, it might be different if he turns the wheel rather than what happens with Ben or, or another person turn the wheel. So I don't know what that will mean for the island, but I think it's a big possibility and I'm very, very excited about next week. So thank you both. I love your podcast, and have a great day. Bye. Mahalo for those calls. Well, both Big Joe and Lara with some thoughts as to why you know Desmond tried to run down Unlock off the island. Um, Big Joe saying that maybe there's an element of each on, on the other side. So Desmond is actually kind of calling out what's whatever is left of real Lock in Unlock. Like a yin-yang. Thing. Right. Well, I mean, we've, we, he said, like, don't tell me what I can't do. I mean, that uh, it seems like they've been suggesting that there's some Lock left there. Maybe that's what Desmond was calling out oh, okay. and meanwhile off the island maybe there's some evil smoke monster in John Locke in the wheelchair I'm not sure if I necessarily see that but again maybe that's what he's trying to do I, uh-huh. I, I like what Lara is saying that maybe he's trying to get them to switch places you know he's trying to force Locke slash unlock to have a flash sideways moment yeah. so that you can get um, the real Locke on the island maybe kind of struggling for control of his body there um, although with that then I'm not sure if you necessarily want to unleash the man in black or the smoke monster off the island quite that same way yeah. but a, a lot of great thoughts there and finally first time caller Jenna 
Anna with a very simple explanation as to why Desmond's down the well because the the boy appeared. And the last time the boy appeared, he said, you can't kill them. So if you can't kill Desmond, you can push him down a well. Next best thing. Well, but she also said maybe the, the wheel is down there. I don't think that's where the frozen donkey wheel is. No, I, think, I thought it was underneath the orchid. Right. I think they've basically gone out of their way with the dialogue in that scene to say that this is one of many electromagnetic anomaly points on the island. And I'm hoping at least for the man in black's sake, unlock's sake, that he did not push Desmond down a particularly important one. <laughs> Next up, we've got calls from Carmine, Sarah, and Deborah. Hello, Ryan and Jen. This is Carmine from Connecticut, first-time caller. Um, I was watching that show last night, and um, all i got to say is I was sitting in the chair, my wife was watching it, and didn't see it coming. Alana blows up. I jumped up off the chair. Great moment. Um, the whispers. My theory in the whispers is the writers gave us something to end that conversation. But being that loss is going to be ending pretty soon, I think they had some other ideas in place they might have used for that, but they didn't run running out of time to show that. So being that, you know, I'm a writer myself, and I think there's a lot of ideas out there they probably had they wanted to show, but they're running out of time, so they take the shorter version, which is a good idea. I don't have a problem with the whispers being like that. But maybe we'll get something in some kind of box set down the road where they have a special disc with some of their ideas they didn't put into play. Maybe some extra scripts. You never know. But it would be fun if they did something like that. But really love the show. Love the podcast. Thanks a lot. Goodbye. Hi, this is Sarah from Toronto. And I just wanted to say that I'm so sick and tired of everyone being butthurt about the whispers. I know everyone was uh, expecting something more profound and awesome. You know, like the whispers were. I, I don't know. I don't really know what all the theories were, but... I like what they give us. I think it makes sense that the island is sort of a purgatory, if not for the people who are living there, then for the people who are dead there. And I think that people have to sort of just accept some of these answers. Maybe we've built it up so much in our minds that it would be impossible for every aspect of loss to reach that expectation. So I think people should sit back and love the whispers for what they are. See you later. Bye. Hi, Ryan and Jen. It's Deborah from North Carolina. Last night's episode was terrific, I thought. And I was really happy uh, regarding the reveal about the whispers that what Naomi said when she was, to Miles when she was recruiting him has always stuck with me, and I wondered if we were ever going to get any um, resolution about it. She said to him, there are a number of dead people residing on this island. I love the way that that was stated. And ever since then, I've thought, what are we going to find out about these dead people residing on this island? How is that relevant? How is it going to tie in? turns out, I think that Hurley is much more effective at communicating said dead than uh, Miles. But nonetheless, I think that explained, finding out what the whispers were last night, explained what she was talking about. I was really happy about that. Okay, thanks for your terrific podcast. This is so exciting. Bye. Thanks for those calls. We got a couple of first-time callers there. Carmine saying that, you know, I'm a writer, and they basically just had to, it had to happen, and they had to be in a hurry. They had to take the short version, but um, they probably had much more in mind. Well, they have handled some of the mysteries with a little bit more subtlety than than this previous one. Although so I, I think we're to... just hoping that that's what they're going to do going forward. Yeah, although I have to say, whatever 
kind of lost set box configuration they come out with, I'll be first in line to buy it. Well, I mean, there's probably going to be 30 different box sets and combinations of special features and things to basically take us for all we've gotten. I got to say, we're going to whip out our wallets. Sarah (laughs) from Toronto, though, saying, you know what, just drop it. Stop worrying about all of this whisper stuff. They've given us the answer. We should be thankful for that. Did she say butt hurt? (laughs) She said butt hurt. I just thought that was great. Stop being all butt hurt. But she also admits that she doesn't know what all the different theories were about the whispers. So I definitely suggest that you check out like uh, Lostpedia and some of these others because there was some really good thinking as far as the whispers were concerned. And finally, Deborah, though, giving us another way to look at it, or at least a little more supporting documentation that, yes, somebody said that there are dead people residing on the island. Mm -hmm. And we actually noted that when we talked about that episode. So in some ways, they're connecting it. Yes, these are the voices of dead people. And that's what Miles was brought aboard for, even though Hurley's been doing all the talking. We now hear it from Joe, Brian, and Will. Hey, guys. Hey, Ryan and Jen. What's up? Uh, This is Joe Conan from PA, and uh, I personally love tonight's episode. It, uh, I like seeing Michael back. I'm one of the people that does not hate him. And I thought it was sort of sad that, you know, his afterlife is being trapped on the island, and he, he never got to redeem himself for the lives he, uh, he took. And he never got to say goodbye to his son. He never got to have a last word with him. So it's sort of a sad ending for Michael. I feel bad for him. And uh, I also loved tonight's ending. It was so shocking. I was definitely not expecting that. Uh, but we obviously know that Desmond did run him over so John Locke could have a near-death experience and experience the love, I guess. That's my idea. When, uh, you know, Desmond and Charlie did it, they had a flash of the alternate reality when they were, you know, almost losing their lives. So just my opinion. Uh, Thanks for the podcast, guys. Keep up the good work. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Brian from Minneapolis. We keep getting references to the island being its own entity, and seeing Mike on the latest episode got me to thinking about the season for finale, There's No Place Like Home. Uh, Right before the freighter blew up, Christian Shepard appears to Michael and says, you can go now. So I'm wondering who or what that was. We can surmise that it's not Jacob because we've never seen him able to shift forms. And we also know from a recent episode that Smokey can't travel over water. And I'm sure that he didn't shift a human form just to canoe out there and say something to Michael. So could that vision of Michael's be a manifestation of the island? And if that's the case, could some of the other visions of Christian also be the island itself? Uh, like, for example, when Jack's on the hospital. Uh, anyway, what are your thoughts? Thanks so much, and keep up the great podcast. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Will from Knoxville, and I have a lot to say about the episode, but I'm going to make it short. Just say a couple quick things. I'm so glad we finally got an answer on the whispers, but I really, really am tired of Jen and Son not getting back together. When are we going to? When are they ever going to get back together? How long can they possibly drag it out? Apparently for five years, because that's how long it took them to tell us what the whispers were. But anyway, it was another great episode, and just wanted to share my thoughts. Thanks. Mahalo for those calls. Well, Joe saying that he's sad for Michael because he's back to being a tragic figure with a sad ending. He was always a tragic figure. You know, he sacrificed a lot 
for his son to get him off the island. And then we see him again only to have him blown up on the freighter. I well, mean, I think he really deserved a better ending. I agree that, you know, it could have been better in that case, but at least he was doing something heroic. He was delaying the explosion of the freighter to help them get off. And then it seemed like Christian Shepherd or whoever that was, was giving him an absolution saying, you can go now, Michael. But it turns out, you know, psych fooled you. You can't go now because you're going to be stuck on the island. And this, you know, whatever is lies ahead for him, it seems to be completely disconnected from Walt. So... There's right. a lot of there's still a lot of loose ends there, but I like how Joe says that maybe he was help, maybe Desmond was helping Locke see the love. Well, thirty six hundred sure. pounds of yeah, love. Yeah, sixty miles an hour. I don't <laughs> know about that. Brian from Minneapolis saying um, that uh, pointing out the Christian Shepherd scene. What was that? If it it can't be the Man in Black because of the water, water thing, the smoke yeah. monster stuff. So what was he? I mean, now what's going on there? A manifestation of the island. Same, maybe the same way that Michael is now. That like, Michael is the next, or one. even Yemi. I mean, we don't really know what Yemi was even. Well, I see. Now we're starting. Now we have to again. There's going to be. I'm going to need a flow chart or something because Yemi, we thought now was the the smoke monster manipulating. You know, just like um the uh, uh, Richard Alpert's wife being used to manipulate somebody or giving them a motivation to do something. Yeah, where so. does the smoke monster begin and the island end? Absolutely. Although maybe there are the, one of the same. I mean, that's also a good thought as well. And finally, Will from Knoxville with a simple question. When are we going to see Jin and Sun come together? Personally, never. You don't think it's going to happen? No, it's going to be like the ultimate tragic twist. Well, I mean, I I, I would give, give the writers a lot of credit for doing that, but a lot of times they give us exactly what they seem to be setting up. I'm just I'm with him though. I just don't think they can be dragged out much longer. Oh, no. Well, we loved all of the calls that we got on the Lost Line. Uh, many, many more, of course. I did want to mention a couple of fun coincidences that came up. We heard from both Fester and uh, he's in Lansing, Michigan, as well as Eric from Oakland, and the both of them had sudden you know epiphanies about Richard. Alpert's namesake, who of course we might know here in Hawaii. He's a spiritual leader, Hindu scholar. He actually lives on Maui, and he's also known as Ram Das. And uh-huh. we have talked about him on the yeah. podcast. It has come up before, so it's kind of neat that people discover this stuff. He's written books about it, and, and because we've got the flash sideways, they thought it was relevant because he talks about living in different planes, the physical plane, the spiritual plane, and his mission is to help people live in more than one plane at once. And that sounds like a flash sideways to me. Yeah, kind of. Also, we heard from um, first-time caller Chuck from New Hampshire, as well as Chuck from Des Moines, both named Chuck, and both of them saying, holy freaking Willy Wonka, you know, <laughs> basically kind of talking about the uh, promo for next week. Normally, we don't talk about it. Um, we don't generally want, I mean, some people consider those spoilers, but it was a very unique trailer, That was to be the sure. creepiest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, basically, they took the audio from Gene Wilder singing um, from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and of course, the parallels are clear. It's another movie where candidates were brought to a magical place to find a replacement. So mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of cool. Now, the creators of Lost, uh, Carlton and, and well, Darlton, basically, they've bas- they've sometimes complained because those promos are not made by them. They're made by the promotions department at ABC. Yeah. But they said this week on their official podcast that they also thought that that was a very special one. So, it was great. Very cool stuff. But let's get to some of the comments that came in written form. Christine writes, unbelievable episode. About 14 minutes, I almost fell off the couch and I hope my neighbors didn't hear me scream. <laughs> I can't remember any other episodes. It pretty much left me speechless like this one did. Dave in New York writes, if every episode is like that, 
five from here on out. I don't think I can take it. That was the most I've yelled at the TV in shock since, well, ever. Lucy Dog writes, the ebb and flows of these shows are so outstanding. While not as intense as last week's, Everybody Loves Hugo was, in my view, a solid episode. And it does show, as with Sideways Hugo and Libby, the bleeding of one timeline with the island timeline. Also, props to Dr. Linus, concerned Sideways citizen. I love that Linus was there to protect the children from what he assumed was the creepy predator behavior from Dez. Emerson is so good in that one little scene. Actually, yeah, we didn't mention that. I thought that that interaction was great, that Emerson, you know, that the teacher, Ben, is very protective of, of his students. I thought that was... Well, remember well when Alex was telling him about Principal Reynolds and, and the first thought that, that Ben had was that Principal Reynolds was doing something inappropriate that's to Alex? That's true, that's true. So he's he's especially protective. He's got a particular, I guess, um, fear for what might happen to these kids. Mimi writes, I'll say Hugo grew a pair. He goes from a guy who's afraid to even talk to a lady to a guy that faces the smoke monster by himself while hiding his friends until he gets its word that there will be no killing. Brave. Very brave. Definitely yeah. a good episode for good, early. Yeah. Keith writes, absolutely love this episode aside from any mythological stuff and reveals and all that. It felt like the episode where Hurley finally gets the respect he's earned over the years. I actually cried at the scene where he finally gets his picnic with Libby. Absolutely. Montreal Lafleur writes, I loved everything in this episode and this is the best Hugo-centric episode of the whole series. I have always thought that Hurley was key to the endgame of Lost and tonight was the night he took control. Well, at least sort of. As for the whispers, I am satisfied with the explanation. It's not the one I was hoping for, but acceptable nonetheless. Trayson Seville writes, so what does it mean that the whispers are so often heard associated with the others? Ben seemed to make it pretty clear when he told Rousseau, every time you hear whispers, run the other way. And as recently as LAX Part 2, the whispers were in the catacombs just before the temple others grabbed Jack. This seemed to indicate that these were some kind of technique intentionally used by the others. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we basically have to rewatch the series or at least look at the Lostpedia entry on the whispers. They've turned up in very pivotal scenes. And yes, almost always in conjunction with um, foretelling an action taken by the others or, you know, the people on the island. So I'm not sure how this all fits and how it can all be explained. I think the simplest explanation is that the vo- the whispers were warning of what was to come, but nobody could understand, at least not her- except for Hurley, what they were trying to say. Right. Crystal in Raleigh writes, one word to describe this episode, explosive. Well, there you go. <laughs> Ilana was the bomb, literally, and Hurley too. Just like others called upon to step up, Henry Ian Cusick is getting his day in the sun and handling it great. The worst thing about this episode was that they obviously tried to cram too many things in it to wrap the show up. This made it kind of all over the place and disjointed in a way. John Y. writes, I did like the episode. It sure seems like we saw a lot for it to have been 42 minutes. But sorry, I can't feel sorry for Michael. Killed Libby, Anna, and blew up a whole lot of people on the boat who weren't there to kill anyone. Sure, he's remorseful. His mortal soul is damned. I'd start to feel bad about it, too. Well, so there you go, Joe, someone who does not feel very bad for Michael. And he <laughs> does apologize for Libby, if not Ana Lucia, who may not have been a good person. The whole thing about the, the boat, he, he did not set the dynamite. I thought he was trying to stop the dynamite. The dynamite yeah. was already there. So yeah. definitely some food for thought. Nikki writes, I didn't think last week's episode could or would be topped so quickly, but it just happened. The answers are starting to spew forth. I actually started to make the leap into the unlock is the good one, Jacob is the bad one camp, but Flock's treatment of Desmond here forces a non-committal. So do you also have a slightly lower view of the man in Locke? I have to say, yeah, I do. All right. 
Jason B. in Raleigh writes, What a great episode. The writers of this episode are obviously fans of Bruce Springsteen because not only did Hurley's blind date have the name Rosalita, mm-hmm. the date was at Spanish Johnny's. Spanish Johnny being one of the characters in the song Incident on 57th Street. Both songs are from the album The Wild, The Innocent, and The E Street Shuffle. Read into that what you will. And actually a lot of people did. In fact, Gene E. on the blog went further, actually had a whole Bruce Springsteen playlist and tied every song on it to Lost. So of course, really? you got Incident on 57th Seven Streets. We've got an incident, and Born to Run was the title on that track. So definitely a lot of fun and, and, and kind of a neat cultural reference that I didn't pick up on. Joe from New York writes, I have to say my first thought when Unlock or the Man in Black said to Saeed after throwing Desmond down the well that we don't have to worry about him anymore was that Saeed was not happy about that. Something in my gut makes me think Saeed is playing along with Man in Black, so don't write Saeed off as a zombie yet. He may surprise us all. That would be great. Well, I'd love to see that. Brendan in Wisconsin writes, Man and Locke was definitely not happy about Desmond not having fear. He also seemed to be hoping that Desmond knew who he really was. When Desmond said he was John Locke, the man in black seemed disappointed. Well, you know, Bodita in Atlanta kind of pointed out that maybe that was part of trying to get under his skin. I mean, that Widmore perhaps told Desmond to go ahead and call him Locke, even though everybody knows that he's not Locke, that Mm -hmm. it's all part of the game. Dave in Atlanta writes, On previous podcasts, it was mentioned that no one ever took Flock's hand when he offered it, except Desmond did tonight. It seems clear to me that Desmond is acting with a purpose, and I think he is the only one who knows what the final outcome is to be, not what it should be or what someone wants it to be. That's why he has no fear and why he takes Flock's hand. That's good a good call. Point. I didn't catch that uh, he finally grabbed his hand. Eric from Ohio writes, Unlock is the devil. He feels threatened by Desmond because he derives his power from the fear that he senses in people, and Desmond feels no fear. When someone is fearful or unconfident, they can be manipulated and convinced to follow paths that they would not normally follow. Because Desmond doesn't want anything, Unlock has no leverage with him. Think Psalm 23. Also, hearing Michael mention that they, the ones who have done wrong, are stuck on the island sounds a lot like the Catholic idea of purgatory. Absolutely. Eric from Ohio, a big fan of the religious references and perhaps a yeah. greater religious model for what's happening on Lost. And finally, Vonda from Idaho writes, there is speculation that Desmond could be Jacob's son and that's what makes him special. If this is true, there is a mirror image to the Bible because Jacob's son in the Bible, Joseph, gets thrown down a well because his brothers are annoyed with him being special. Oh, yeah. I didn't catch that either. Yeah. So a good thought, perhaps a piece of evidence. Now, we are always impressed by all the great ideas and comments that come in each week, and we definitely appreciate everyone, even though we can only include a small portion in our podcast. We got over 340 comments this week, and there's a great discussion, a great back and forth. People are bringing up literary references like Vallis again, and everything that rises must converge. So we got a little grief last week for being too effusive with our praise of our listeners, but I think everything we say is absolutely earned. Now, we've only got five more episodes to go, and we definitely can't survive without you guys by our side, so please share your take on the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost. Email us at lost at hawaiiup.com or call and leave a message on the Lost line at 815-310-0808. Now, we should mention that with the episodes left, they're actually going to be taking a break this season as they have in previous 
seasons one week off. There will not be a new episode on Tuesday, the 27th of April. So Lost is going to take a break. We're going to take a break and basically get ready for that final stretch of episodes. By pushing it off, though, what they've done is they've put a new episode in the week of the season finale, which is on a Sunday. So it'll be kind of cool to go less than five days, almost four days between new episodes yeah, of Lost. Yeah, kind of like that. But again, if you want to get your feedback in, now's the time to do it. Now, coming up in about three minutes, the forward cabin, but we have a special treat this week. Now, every week here on the podcast, we've been playing the latest song from the Others Lost Band in Boston. They write a song for every episode, including the one for last week, and that song is called Love at First Sight, and you can hear it at theotherslostband.com. But we wanted to do something a little different because we heard from a transmission listener named Liz. She calls herself Wine Country Liz, and she's a musician herself. And inspired by lost musicians like the Others Lost Band or even Bare Naked Hurley, who writes yeah. you know song parodies based on Lost, she decided to put her hat in the ring as well. So here, for your listening enjoyment, her take on George Benson and the Drifters on Broadway, but the song is called Flash Sideways. They say the jughead made them all flash sideways. This time flight 815 stays in the air. And Sawyer's next to Hugo's seat. And Kate's still running down the street. Jacob hasn't shown up anywhere At least not yet anyway As of April 13th They say that life's more sensible Inside of ways It seems like Daniel Whitmore's got the blues Cause how you gonna alter time When Ellie says things are fine Besides quantum physics has them all confused no, 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 no. Guess purgatory's not the case inside a ways Islanders are not in hell, the writers say. But Richard Alpert says they're wrong. Been on that island way too long. And Michael's ghost says he can't go nowhere. Wow. 
that was Transmission listener Wine Country Liz with Flash Sideways, and I loved that song. Very cool. And I've been singing it all week, much to Jen's chagrin. <laughs> and if you want to download or listen to it again, I posted it on my Tumblr blog called Riley, and that's at w.ry. Dot L-Y. Of course, if you want to connect with Liz, she's Lizaroni with two N's on Twitter and Facebook. But we do want to thank Liz for sharing that song. Yes. I mean, I love the creativity of the Lost Fan community and certainly among our listeners. In fact, if you come to the blog, we've had another uh, listener who write, who does sketches and draws art based on Lost. And he posts mm-hmm. those links each week as well. So definitely check it out. Great stuff. But now it's time for the Forward Cabin where we look ahead on Lost. And that starts with the new episode coming up this week. Coming up next on Lost, the 13th episode of season six. It's called The Last Recruit. And the synopsis reads, alliances are forged and broken as Locke and Jack camp merge. Well, that's certainly what we saw and what we can't wait to see. Of course, now it's time to get to our filming reports. And yes, we have them. Now, last week I told you about the big rap party out in Ka'a'ava Valley, mm-hmm. but it turns out that was not the rap party. In fact, it was just an appreciation or mahalo party thrown specifically by Evangeline Lilly. It was actually a very special event, and she wanted to show her thanks for the local crew and, of course, the cast of the show. Um, apparently, a great time. Turns out I knew the organizers, but they refused to tell me anything about it until it was over. So good work there. Congratulations on that party. But that means, of course, that the official rap party has yet to happen. It's a week away on the 24th. But what that implies, obviously, is that filming is ongoing and there was filming all week. So starting on Monday, the 12th, I only have a possible sighting of Lost. They were back at the old police building downtown, which was, again, the police station where Sawyer and Miles were at earlier this season, but no cast were sighted there, and they cleared out pretty quickly. Now, moving to Tuesday, it gets more interesting. They were filming at Bishop Museum once again, and on the set were spotted Evangeline Lilly, or Kate, Michael Emerson, and Miles as well, Ken Leung. Mm -hmm. And according to guards, at least, they said that Hurley and Desmond were there, too. Now, while they were setting up a very familiar tent and stage on the Great Lawn, they had, in fact, also renamed the Atherton Halau, one of the buildings on the side. They just renamed it the East Hall. They were mostly filming inside Long Hall, or actually the Long Gallery. Now, this is basically a small art space inside Hawaiian Hall, historic Hawaiian Hall, on the right side of the main entrance. And according to my source, the scene was the birth of a baby. Now, he actually said that he was told that the baby was going to be dark-skinned, but all he saw was a regular Caucasian baby doll on the set, but it was definitely a childbirth scene. And unfortunately, he doesn't watch the show and he doesn't know who or even what's going on so he couldn't give me much more than that but that's certainly tantalizing Mm. and uh, I do want to thank him as well as visiting fans Lynn Aaron and Jeff for their reports in fact you went down to check it out as well although um, Lynn Aaron and Jeff actually got a photo with Michael Emerson he was very gracious he came down and took a picture with them absolutely he's such a nice guy on Wednesday the 14th they were out in Kahalu'u this is way on the other other side of the island they had trailers and signs out north of Heia, but again, whatever was happening, it was out of sight. A visiting fan on a tour also tweeted that they were filming at the Ajira plane set in Hale Eva, and of course, you couldn't get very close there either as well. But the big shoot of the day and the night, and of course, perhaps for the whole week, was again back at Bishop Museum, and it was a late night shoot. They, in fact, didn't start until like 7 p.m., and they mm-hmm. went until 4 a.m. So this was indeed the fusion 
rock and classical concert that Eloise was organizing. And in the scene, Dr. Chang comes on stage first to introduce Daniel Widmore and Driveshaft. So Daniel kicks things off with a piano intro, and then Driveshaft comes on within a few measures with the rock and roll. So on stage, we had Charlie and Liam, of course, his brother and the band. So in the audience, in the tents, we had at table 23, Kate Desmond, pregnant Claire, and David, or Jack's son, in that scene. The next table over was Eloise, and seated nearby at another table was Miles and Charlotte. So that's interesting, of course, because Miles was trying to set Charlotte Charlotte up with Sawyer, mm-hmm. and now they're watching Daniel on stage. So the scene is pretty clear. It was a concert. Of course, it was a very operatic concert, so everyone's nicely dressed and basically bobbing their heads to the music, although apparently there were some drive shaft groupies on the set as well. But in one scene filmed here, Eloise does go up to Desmond to talk to him. Not sure what he says. And in another scene, it looks like Claire goes into labor. So she runs off and Kate follows. And I guess that connects with what was seen the day before in the long gallery. And I do want to thank Lynn, Nicole, and Billy for their reports. Now, I should mention out in the parking lot, there was a trailer for Jack, but he wasn't spotted that night. And unfortunately, no sign of Penny either, which I think was a disappointment for a lot of folks. Now, on Thursday, the 15th, they were back at the YWCA on Richards Street. Now, this has been several locations, including and primarily the Santa Rosa Mental Institute. And indeed, the Santa Rosa Mental Institute van was parked out in front. Now, we don't don't know what the scene was. Um, they were using the ground floor corner room, which was the rec room before. Michael Emerson was spotted there. He was uh, dressed in a suit in the morning, but in the afternoon, while he was hanging around, he was wearing an Aloha shirt. And again, several people were able to approach him. He was very nice. He took pictures. He signed autographs. Definitely a standout on the cast. Also, there were several people in dress shirts and ties, so it might not have been the Mental Institute in this case. In fact, cast trailers had labels on them for Ben, yes, Nestor, which I would assume would be Nestor Carbonell or Alper. It'd be interesting if he's off the island, a school teacher and receptionist. So maybe it was a school scene. In fact, that's probably what it was because of the last name on a trailer that definitely got some attention, um, the name and a stand-in for that name, and that name was Walt. What? Walt. And sure enough, in fact, I caught Malcolm David Kelly coming out with Michael Emerson toward the end of the day. He was, of course, looking very grown up and very tall. I'm not sure how it all fits in, but I guess he might be a student and Michael Emerson's involved somehow. Very, very interesting. In fact, halfway through the shooting day, they actually took his name off the trailer and changed Walt to Wilson. But, (laughs) you know, I spotted him. Several other people spotted him and they even posted to Twitter that he was here. So there you go. Walt returns in this season finale of Lost. Very so cool. That'll be very cool. And thanks especially to John S. and Nicole for their reports. And in fact, while I was down there, I met a couple of other Lost fans I've seen around, um, Jeff and Daryl. Um, they were the ones that got the autograph from Michael Emerson. And um, they said earlier in the week, this week, they actually stopped by the Hawaii Film Studio. And while there, they saw several extras dressed in Dharma jumpsuits, the standard khaki really? Dharma jumpsuits. I'm not sure 
how that fits into anything, but very interesting. And they also saw Lost working out in Kaneohe near the Haiku stairs, or basically the Omega Station, which, as you know or may know, was the Hydra where Room 23 was. And um, in the van being shuttled up to that location was Pierre Chang or Dr. Chang. So he's somehow involved in the season finale as well. Cool. All interesting stuff. Um, finally, yesterday, Friday, April the 16th, they were filming again all night at Sacred Heart Academy in Kaimuki. This is on Wailai Avenue. Now, this church was used as the exterior for the lamp post, the, the one Dharma station that we've seen off right. the island, but we can't say really that that's what it was in this case. But it was very interesting because they basically brought in the entire lost, you know, auto pool, the motor pool. They had Hurley's orange or red Camaro was there looking in great shape. Um, we had mentioned that it resurfaced last week in a scene at the film studio, but here it was in front of the church. There was also a cargo truck labeled Oceanic Air Cargo. We had Hurley's Hummer, the yellow Hummer, so actually maybe two Hurley vehicles or perhaps um, someone else is driving one of those vehicles. And Jack's, you know, classic Ford um, Bronco, I guess, was there and was the Santa Rosa Mental Institute van. So like five cars from throughout Law sitting in the parking lot. And I'm not sure if they all were supposed to be there or if... Basically, they're trying to mess with fans by oh, dragging these cars all over town. I'm not sure. It was really cool to see them all in one place. Now, it would make sense that everyone in the Flash Sideways is coming together, and why not at the Lamp Post, the only station off the island? But despite the sightings of all the cars, um, the only cast member that was actually seen um, from my sources was Evangeline Lilly, or Kate. And basically, they filmed her getting out of Jack's Jeep, uh, pacing hmm. around a bit, and then getting back in, and over and over and over again again and pretty much folks wanted to go home so no uh -huh. doubt there was much more filmed last night but that was all i got and i do want to thank tina jana ken and connie for their reports now they're still filming tonight in fact and they're right across the street from sacred hearts at saint patrick's school also i read on twitter that ian summerhalder is in town oh, so you know, we got some boon coming as well in the season finale now that he's in the islands and i know that there is in fact going to be at least a few more days of filming this upcoming week so that means there might, in fact, be a few more filming reports for you here in the Forward Cabin. But once again, I need to warn you, the ride is almost over for these filming reports. The final wrap party is coming up on April the 24th. So that's it for the filming reports and the Forward Cabin. So that means that's it for this episode of The Transmission. The show is powered by you all, everybody. So please be sure to join the conversation over on the blog after the episode on Tuesday night. You can comment there. Share your thoughts and theories with everybody. Failing that, you can send us an email or you can call the Lost Line. And, of course, we're always available for some talk story on Twitter. We can talk about Lost or anything else. I'm at Hawaii. And I'm at Mrs. Hawaii. All right, folks, thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of the Lost Ohana. We're getting to the end game, and we're glad you're along with us. Stay lost, everybody. Aloha. Aloha. This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.